Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Okay, before I get started here this morning, for those of you who don't know, I, I am Jesse Bryan. I'm the youth pastor here at the church, and uh, we, we do pray Pastor Randy Ray as he is preaching a revival in Tennessee this morning, uh, that he does have safe travel as he comes back and that God just blesses his sermon this morning um, as he continues that. And uh, I just want to, to address one thing while I'm up here. I've had a couple questions because the last times, couple times that I've preached, I've done a few things that might have been a little unordinary. For instance, a couple times ago when I preached, I showed a cartoon in the background. And uh, last time I preached, I believe I brought a sword up here on the stage and even took my tie off in the middle of my sermon. I can assure you this time, I'm not planning on doing anything like that. Nothing out of the ordinary. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means I'm not planning on it. Okay? So just to get that out of the way, I want to ask you all a question this morning. How many of you have ever had one of those days? One of those, yeah, some of you are raising your hands already. I haven't even described what I'm talking about. You know the kind of day I'm talking about, a day when it just doesn't seem like anything goes right. For instance, you wake up in the morning over half an hour late because your alarm didn't go off. And then as you're trying to get your children ready for school or ready for church, you feel like Satan has possessed them and they are going to do everything they can to thwart you getting out the door on time, much less trying to get where you're trying to go. Or you don't feel like you can get anything done on your to-do list, whether it be at home or whether at work, because every time you try to do something, you get some political phone call asking you to vote for somebody, because that just doesn't seem to stop happening right now either. You see, we all have those kinds of days, and we get to those, the end of those days, and we sit down sometimes and we think back through our day. And we think about some of the things that happened and we think about some of the conversations we had and, and maybe the, the fact that, that we yelled at somebody or, or spoke to somebody unkindly in a way we wish we hadn't have done that. And we wish we could take those words back. Or maybe we did some things or, or acted in a certain way or were short with people and we wish that we could change those things. You see, every single one of us, we have those days. We have those days because we're human. We have those days because we're imperfect. Scripture tells us we have those days because we're sinners. And you see, I want to talk about that fact this morning. You see, because as, as we sit in church and as we talk about who God is and we talk about the fact that we are sinners, I think there's a word that we need to remember. And we talk about it in church a lot, but sometimes we only talk about it in, in one context. And that word is the one you see on the screen behind me. It's repentance. You see, repentance is an incredibly important word. And most of the time when you hear about the word repentance and we talk about it in church, we're talking about that moment in our life when we understand that we're a sinner. When we understand that there is nothing we can do to take away that, that thing that is inside of us that makes us want to live for us. That makes us want to glorify us and honor us. And when we finally realize that, when we finally come to that point and we understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross because we're imperfect. Because we're sinners. That's when we hear that word, repentance. It's when we tell God, I'm sorry. God, I messed up. God, I can't fix myself. I can't live this life for me anymore. I want to stop and I want to live for you. And we talk about repentance as doing a 180 degree turn that you turn away from the sin and the things in your life and you turn towards God and you're going to follow him with the rest of your life. And that is a lot of times the first time we hear that word. But you see, sometimes 
After that, we forget that word. But repentance is much more than that one time, that one recognition of our sin and turning away and turning to God. When we look at repentance and we look at what Scripture says about it, it's something that Scripture tells us is supposed to be a habit for us. It's something that we're supposed to do maybe even on a daily basis depending on how our life is going when it comes to God and our relationship with Him. You see, I found it interesting. I I like to look up words sometimes when I come across them. And I looked up what repentance means in the dictionary. And here's the definition that they gave. It says, The act of turning from sin and dedicating oneself to the amendment on one's life, especially for misdeeds or moral shortcomings. See, that's a good definition, but the thing that we're turning to is not an amendment on one's life. When we talk about repentance, the thing that we're turning to is a holy, just, merciful, loving God. And we do that at that moment of our salvation, that moment we belong to God through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. But we're also called to do it on a much more regular basis than that. Now, let me clarify. Once you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, once you belong to God, you don't ever have to do that again. You're His. Scripture tells us that nothing can separate us from God. But even after that point, we're still sinners, aren't we? I got saved. I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior when I was 14 years old. That's been some time ago. And I'll wager to say there's not a day that hasn't gone by that I haven't committed some kind of sin. You see, there's still a need for repentance. And as we look at Scripture this morning, we're going to look at a man named Peter. Because if anybody understood this concept that repentance is not a one-time thing, it is something that we need to practice regularly, it was Peter. Now, in case, you're, in case you're not familiar with him, Peter was one of the disciples. In fact, it tells us in the book of Matthew, <coughs> excuse me, it tells us in the book of Matthew 4 that Jesus actually called Peter and his brother Andrew first. They were the first disciples that he ever called to follow him. And Peter and Andrew were sitting there, they were fishermen, and they were sitting there, they were mending their nets, they were doing their thing, they were tending their business. And Jesus sees them, and he tells them to follow him. And they do. They drop everything. They leave their life behind. Everything that they knew, everything that they had as a daily habit, a daily ritual, a daily plan, they walked away from it to follow Jesus Christ. And as you look at the story of Peter, as you follow him through Scripture, you see that Peter was incredibly confident in his relationship with Christ. In fact, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16 and just get a little glimpse of Jesus and Peter and look at the interaction that takes place between them. In Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, we see Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on the rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Now, looking at this exchange, this interaction between Jesus and Peter, we see that Jesus has got his head on pretty straight. Or Peter does, excuse me. Jesus has asked all of the disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do these people say that I am? And Peter, acting as the spokesperson for the disciples, looks at Jesus and says, you're Jesus. You're the son of God. You are the Christ that everybody has been waiting for. You see, Peter had spent time with Jesus every single day up until this point. He had preached the word faithfully. He had served faithfully. And even Jesus recognizes the fact that God is working in Peter's life. He says, Peter, you didn't answer this question because you're smart. You answered this right because God is the one that revealed it to you. God's doing something in you, Peter. And because God's working in you, you're the one I'm going to work with. You're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. You bind it on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. You loose it on earth, it'll be loosed in heaven. Peter, you're right where you're supposed to be. And that's what Jesus tells him. In fact, if you follow Peter's story, as you go through the account of his life, you see some other things about him. You see that at Pentecost, that when the Holy Spirit came to the disciples, when Jesus left, they received the Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, Peter preached and over 3,000 people in one day came to know Jesus Christ. Peter was a man of God. God used him in amazing and miraculous ways throughout his life. So why is it that oftentimes when we think of Peter, the first thing that comes to our mind is the greatest failure of his life? When we think about Peter, we've got this man, this disciple who was on fire for God and he would do so many amazing things and so many great things. Why is it the central thing, the one thing that pops in our head is Peter failed? Peter denied Christ. It's that way because we have a hard time letting go of failures. Just like when we get to the end of one of those days and we start mulling over in our head what we did and what we wish we could change and we realize we don't like to let go of our failures. And unfortunately, that makes us remember the failures in others as well. You see, Peter was a disciple, yes, Peter was a great man, yes. Peter did amazing thing for God, yes. But Peter was a sinner. Peter had the same thing in him that is in us. And this man of God failed miserably. But even though he did, he understood the, the meaning of this word. He understood what repentance was. And it's because of this that he was able to do the great things that he was able to do for God. You see, Peter understood a harsh reality. And that harsh reality is the fact that there is sin in this world. And sin is something that everyone is vulnerable to. There is not one person in this room, in this city, in this state, on this planet, or even the astronauts in outer space, that is not vulnerable to sin. It's just not possible to withstand it. We're all at risk. At some point in time, every single one of us. In fact, Jesus made Peter aware of the fact that everybody's vulnerable to sin. Over in Luke chapter 22, if you'd like to turn over there, you've got the disciples. They're having what we call the Lord's Supper, the last supper with Jesus Christ. And Jesus is talking to them and he's explaining some things to them. And Jesus actually looks at Peter and makes Peter aware that he is vulnerable to sin. Look at what it says in Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. 
But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Let me stop right there. Jesus warns Peter right here, Satan's out to get him. He's saying, Peter, you you need to be aware. You may think you're strong. You may think you're going to do all kinds of amazing things, and you will. But you need to understand, Satan is out to get you. And Satan's after Peter because that's what Satan does. He does the same thing to us. He comes after us because what Satan's goal is, is to stop us in being effective for the work of God. If he can convince us, if he can get us to feel like we can't do anything for God, then he's done a great thing in his book. And that's why Jesus is warning Peter. And you see, Peter, this this sin that he's going to commit, this failure that that we know he's about to, to do in just a couple of days, you see, there's reasons for it. You know, he may be scared. He may be trying to preserve himself. He may have felt pressure from the people around him. Every sin has reasons. Every sin has an occasion. But every single one of those sins has one cause. Satan desires to sift us like wheat. He desires to make us ineffective. He desires to get us off track. And when we sin, his desire is to get us to turn away from the God that we know and turn our backs on him to the sin that is before us. Because we're all vulnerable. The guilt, the shame, the insecurity that we feel when we sin, that is Satan's greatest weapon. It really is. Because when we experience those things at the end of those bad days that we talked about, he uses those tools to make us feel like we can't do anything. And then we start hearing that little voice in the back of our head. Oh, you you can't do that for God. What if they knew what you said to that person? What if they knew what you did? What if they know who you really are? And we start to listen to that voice. But you see, Scripture tells us that voice is a lie from Satan, and that is something that we shouldn't listen to. Because when we start listening to that voice, we start making the excuses. Saying, oh, you know, God, I, I can go talk to that person, but I really I don't have time. Okay, I've got to get to work. I'm, I'm going to be five minutes late already. I've got to get there. Forget the guy at the coffee shop that asked me if I know anything about God. Okay, God, I'm a little too young. I'm, I'm a little scared. People aren't going to listen to me. God, I'm too old. People aren't going to listen to me. God, I don't know enough scripture. God, I've learned too much scripture, and I don't want to bombard somebody and make them think I'm some kind of Jesus fanatic. You see, and I say those, and some of you are smiling because when you say them out loud, they sound kind of ridiculous, don't they? But that's what we do. Those are the excuses we make because we know the guilt and the shame that we feel. And as Pastor Ray made the statement just a couple weeks ago, if you knew me like I knew me, you wouldn't listen to me preach. And that could be true about any one of us. But you know what? God already knows that. God already knew us before we ever committed any sin that made us feel guilty or made us feel shame. God already knew us before Satan tried to get a hold of us and tell us the lie that we can't be effective for him. God already knew, and he wants us anyway. Look at what he says. Look at how Peter responds in verse 33. It says, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. 
Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Now, understand, the idea that we can't do anything for God because of our guilt and our shame, that is a lie from Satan. But we also have to be careful that we don't become overconfident in our relationship with God. You see, it's possible for us to get to the point to think, okay, you know what? Satan can't touch me. Satan doesn't have anything on me. I know the verses. I know the people. I know my relationship with God. And yes, we need to be confident in our relationship with God. But we also need to be humble that we're all vulnerable to sin. Peter's response, it's one of confidence. He says, Jesus, no, 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 no. You don't understand. If they take you to prison, I'm going to prison with you. Jesus, if they kill you, I'm willing to follow you there. Peter was confident. There was no doubt in his mind that he was ready for whatever was going to come his way. But Peter forgot that everyone is vulnerable to sin. Every single person. You and I, we're not as strong as we like to think. Most days, most moments, we are one bad decision away from feeling the same guilt and shame that we're going to see Peter feels here. We are one bad decision away, one bad decision away from feeling like we can't be effective for God. And you know what? It's when we're most confident, when we feel like we are most secure in that relationship, when we really feel like Satan can't touch us, that we're most vulnerable. Because then we got a pride problem going on. And that can take us down too. But see, we have to remember, Peter forgot here. Peter forgot that he was vulnerable to sin. And Satan wants us at that point. Because when he gets us at that point, we will stumble and we can fall. And then he's got us exactly where he wants us. That's a scary thing, isn't it? That's where Peter is after this this interaction. But the good news is, is that we see Jesus already knew where Peter was headed. When he tells Peter, he says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He doesn't stop. He doesn't say, hey, good luck. We'll see how you do. No, he encourages him. He says, Satan, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. And when you return, I want you to strengthen your brothers. You see, Jesus already knew that Peter was vulnerable to sin. Jesus knows that every single one of us is vulnerable to sin. And he doesn't give Peter a message condemning him for the sin that he's going to commit. Instead, he encourages him for the life that he's going to live once that sin's taken care of. That's what God does. We hear about this God that hates sin, and he does. And that is a reality of who he is, but he is also a God that loves unconditionally. And no matter what our sin is, no matter how bad we feel like we mess up, God doesn't turn his back on us. And that's what Jesus is reminding Peter of right here. So why would God choose, why would Jesus choose such an imperfect man, someone who fails so tragically to lead his church? Well, he doesn't have a choice because there's no other kind of person. Every person in this room falls into the same boat as Peter. Every pastor in this country falls into the same boat of Peter. 
Because we are sinful. Because when it comes to sin, we see a second reality. Sin is real and it's unavoidable. I bet there's been a time in your life, I know there's been time in mine where you even actually, you you feel yourself about to sin. You know you're about to make a poor choice. And you do it anyway. Because sin is real and it's unavoidable. It's not this, this nice little cloud that we talk about up here. Oh, sin is this and it's this and it's this. And we never have to actually deal with it. No, it's here. It's now. It's in the flesh. It's real. And at some point, it's going to affect our life. Whether it's because of us or someone that we love or someone that we don't even know. It's unavoidable. In Matthew chapter 26, look at what Peter finds. Verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. Now I want to stop right there because I've read this and I've read this so many times. And my first thought when I read verse 69 and verse 70 is, okay, come on, Peter. You had to see what was happening here. Jesus just got done telling you Just a couple days ago, this is what was going to happen. How in the world could you not see where you're headed? But you see, what's a reality for Peter is a reality for us. Most of the times, when we start to sin, we don't even realize we're in the middle of it. It's there, and it's happening, and sometimes it's done before our mind ever registers. Ah, man, I wish I hadn't done that. That's where Peter is. Because a lot of times you look at Peter and you look at his immediate reaction. It says, I don't know what you mean. And you know his fear, his emotions are welled up inside of him because he's watching his God, his Savior, his friend. He's watched him. He's getting beaten. He's going to be murdered. And you know his emotions are going crazy. And that's what happens to us. When we're in the middle of sin, when we're in the middle of something that's just tearing us apart, our emotions are so crazy that a lot of times we don't see that sin. We can't step back like you and I have the advantage with Peter and say, okay, here, I understand what's going on. But you see, again, Jesus knows that. But look at what happens in the rest of this interaction, starting in verse 71 of Matthew 26. It says, when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know this man. After a while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now if you read that account in Luke 22, it actually tells us that that third time that Peter denied Christ, it says Jesus turned his head and looked at him. And you know in that moment, right then, Peter realized he had done exactly what Jesus told him he was going to do. In that moment, he understands his failure. 
Just days before, he has proudly and boldly proclaimed, Jesus Christ, I will follow you to the grave. I will follow you to prison. I will follow you to your death. Just hours before this, he is in the garden with Christ. And when the soldiers come to arrest him, Peter is the one that takes out the sword and cuts off the soldier's ear. He is defending Jesus Christ. And yet here, he's denied that he's ever known the man. Peter needs to understand repentance. And he's going to. But right now, Peter has understood the reality of sin. The fact that he couldn't escape it. The fact that it was there and there was nothing he could do about it. Because that's who we are. I'm reminded of a young man that came into my office one day. And he sat down and he started talking to me. And I didn't know what the meeting was about. But as he starts talking, he starts talking about a failure in his life. And then he just starts to cry. Uncontrollably. He can't get his words out. His shoulders are shaking. He's got his head buried in his hands. He can't even look at me. And in that moment, all I could think is, that's what it means when it says Peter wept bitterly. Because this young man was so broken over his sin, over what he had done, over how it had affected the ones that he loved. And that's the picture that we need to have. Because when it comes to sin, that's the way it should affect us. Sometimes we are so used to sin, we are so used to to seeing it in ourselves and seeing it in other people, that it doesn't break our hearts anymore. We've grown numb to to the fact that the day that we asked Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, that he changed us, that he made us a new creation, that he erased every evidence of every sin that we had ever committed and we stand clean before a holy and just God. We forget that. But you see, that's exactly where Peter is and that's where we need to be on a regular basis. Now, that doesn't mean you should walk around crying all day because you're a sinner. But it does mean we need to be in tune with it and we need to watch for it and we need to understand it because each one of us is vulnerable to sin. None of us can escape it. But I pray that we are broken by it the way Peter was. But you see, this sin, this is what made Peter so unbelievably aware of his need for repentance. He was already a Christian, as we like to call it. He already had a relationship with Jesus Christ. He had repented. He had dedicated his life to following God. But here's where we see Peter was reminded that repentance is not just a one-time thing. And there's a couple things that we need to understand about repentance, and we can learn this from Peter. And the first one of this is repentance makes us stronger. When it comes to our relationship with God, when we say we're following Jesus Christ, when we practice repentance, it actually makes us stronger. Satan would have each one of us believe that our sins make us failures and make us useless And make us unable to do anything for God. But when we repent, we understand God's grace. That's what happens to Peter. We're going to see it as we read a little bit further down in John chapter 21. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like. But look back at Luke 22 when Jesus says, When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
You see, the reason we know that repentance makes us stronger is because Jesus had already taken Peter's sin into account before he ever committed it. Peter, I've prayed for you. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Peter can't strengthen his brothers unless he's stronger himself. When he comes back to God, it is the gospel of John where we see this full picture of how Jesus is waiting to restore us every single day to his presence and release us on our ministry for him. Look at what it says in John 21, 15. We see this interaction between Jesus and Peter after Jesus has come back from the dead. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And, and Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus has given Peter an opportunity here to let go of his failure. At the end of the day, when Peter knows that he has messed up, when he has those things that he wishes he could change, Jesus is saying, Peter, I've taken care of it. Let it go. He's drawing him back to himself. He's encouraging. He's strengthening Peter. He's not saying, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Peter, man, then I wish you hadn't messed up so bad. Oh, he says, go do what I've called you to do. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Peter, do what it is that I've called you to do. He knows the failures that you and I have in our lives. Jesus knows the things that we sit alone in bed at night, in the dark, when no one else is around, and beat ourselves up about. And Jesus already knows those. And we want to hold on to those things. We want to grasp our fears and we want to hide our sin from God. And we want to hide it from everybody else. But you see, that's not what God's word tells us we're supposed to do. If you read in Psalm chapter 28, verse 13, it says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's what he's making evident to Peter. You know, there was a time, my, uh, my oldest son, when he was six, he got a pretty bad splinter in his hand one day. And uh, my wife was watching him, as she does, because she always watches out for our kids. And she notices something about Nathan. She noticed that he's favoring one hand. He's playing, but he's kind of keeping one hand to himself. So she asked him about it. And he looked her right in the eye and said, I'm okay. There's nothing wrong. But she kept pressing him because as she watched him, he kept, he kept holding that hand back and not playing with it the way he normally does. And so finally he confesses that there is something wrong with his hand, but he doesn't want to tell her what it is because he knows if he does, she's going to want to do something about it. So he still hasn't told her what it is. And the whole time that he's having this conversation, he's taking that hand and he's squeezing it because he's trying to hide that splinter. 
But you see, while he's squeezing it, all he's doing is taking that splinter and he's pushing it further and further into his hand. And it's causing him more pain. So finally, she gets it out of him. Finally, he, he confesses that he's got a splinter in his hand, but he still tells her he doesn't want her to take it out because it's going to hurt too bad. And of course, my wife, being the great mom that she is, she's trying to reason with him and let him know that if he leaves it in there, it's going to get worse. It's going to be painful. It's going to get infected. Unfortunately, logical reasoning doesn't work with a six-year-old most of the time. But finally, he com- she convinces him to let, him do- let her do something about it. But you see, that's what we do with our sin a lot of the times. When we fail, when we know something, we have something that we don't want other people to find about it, we will take it and we will hide it. And even when, even when a loving brother or sister in Christ asks us about it, or we know that God knows about it, we will look at them and say, nope, I'm okay. I got this. All the while, it's getting worse. And we're feeling worse. And we know that it's just eating us up on the inside. You see, eventually, Nathan let her do something about that splinter in his hand. And when it was over, he's got tears on his face, and he looks at her and says, that wasn't so bad now that it's out. See, that's what God wants us to do. When we're holding on to that stuff, when we hold it so tightly that it hurts us, that it gets infected, that it affects every part of us, God wants us to say, here, take it out. Take this away from me. Make me stronger. That's what repentance does for us. That's what it does for Peter. He gets to come to Christ, and three different times Christ says, do you love me? And three different times Peter says, you know that I love you. He is giving Peter the opportunity to let go of every single one of those failures so that he can now turn around and take a hold of the ministry that God has given him, so that he can be stronger, so that he can strengthen his brothers. Every one of us fails. Every one of us has failed. Every one of us will fail. God already knows about it. And he wants us to give it to him. Because as we do, we're released from it. And we can be stronger to carry on the ministry that he has given every single person that claims Jesus Christ as Lord. But repentance also, it also keeps us focused on God. When we decide that we're going to humble ourselves before God, it keeps our focus on him. Now, I would venture to say every person in this room at some point in some time has looked at someone else's failure, someone else's sin. And we thought to ourselves, oh, I'm glad I didn't do that. Man, can, can you believe what they said? Can you believe what so-and-so did? You see, sometimes our confidence, our relationship with God, our security can lead to a false piety in our own lives. It can lead us to start comparing our sins to other people's sin instead of comparing our sins to a holy and just God. But you see, when we repent, when we bring those things before God, we tend to take that focus off of how everybody else is doing compared to us, and we start realizing again, how are we doing compared to God. It keeps us focused on him. In fact, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, the series that Pastor Ray is going through right now. He says in verse 3, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Do not, do you not notice the log that is in your own? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take a speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus says it all right here. He's saying, stop looking around. Stop comparing your sin and your failures to those of everybody else around you. Look at God. Because when you do that, everybody else's failures don't matter. When we start to do that, we start to see our life compared to who God is. When we get into his word, we see who we are in light of how perfect and holy and just and righteous he is. And how we don't measure up to those things. But as we focus on him, we start to understand something else about repentance. Repentance brings intimacy with God. As we spend time focusing on him, we start to understand who God is and we start to know him more than we ever could have. And we start to understand his love and his grace and his mercy more than we ever could have. It brings intimacy. You see, my family, uh, what makes me think of this is my family, my family loves to go camping. Haven't done it in a couple years. Always kind of slows down when you've got little kids. But one of the things that my boys love about camping, side note, girls, I don't think they're the same way. My daughter fell down the other day and she gets up crying and we thought she was hurt. And we walk over and pick her up and look at her knees and all she says is, I dirty, I dirty. But you see, my boys, what they love about camping is that they get the indulgence of going for several days without taking a bath. And they love it. I blame myself for this because as I've talked about from up here before, I like to go hiking. And when I go hiking, I don't take a shower from anywhere from two to sometimes four days. And as my wife likes to describe it, when I come home, I come home stinking, unshaven. And I believe the word you use to describe my smell is earthy. Is the word? Yeah. But you know what? My kids love that too. And even after we come home and even after I shave and, and I shower and, and my boys shower, it still takes a while to get all the dirt off. You still got those little lines in your hand and you can't keep, seem to get those kids' nails clean. You see, the longer we go without cleaning ourselves up, the longer we go without taking care of the dirt that is covering us while we're camping the harder it is to get it off. It's the same way with our lives. The longer we hold on, the longer that we grasp those things, the more it affects us. The more it covers us. And the harder it is for us to then turn around and let it go and let God do what God wants to do. But you see, when we finally do that, we get intimacy with God. People don't want to be around me after I've been hiking or camping for a couple of days or my kids. And when we hold on to those things and that dirt covers us, that sin covers us, it makes it hard for us to draw close to God. But when we turn to him and we say, God, this is yours. I can't do anything about this. God says, come here with his arms open wide because that's how much he loves us. And as we focus on him and we start practicing that repentance on a daily basis, we come to know God in ways that we would never know him. As you read through the Old Testament, you see people who have gone through all kinds of different things in their lives, but because they turn back to God, they know him in a way that they never would have. King David is one of those men. 
David committed sin. He committed adultery. He had a child who died. He had the woman's husband murdered. And he tried to hide it. And he recounts that in Psalm 32, starting in verse 1. Here's how David felt. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Here's why he says that. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, David knew the regret of his sin and holding on to his failure. But David also knew the intimacy that repentance before a holy and just God brought him. And my question to you today is, are you practicing repentance? Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I've I've never even heard that word before. Well, it's telling God that we're sorry. Telling God that, that the things that we do every single day that glorify us, that honor us, are not what he wants from our lives. Knowing that we are sinners, that we can't change that about ourselves, and God wants us to just give it to him. And say, please forgive me because I can't fix it. That's repentance. That's the main part. But then it becomes a daily habit, or I pray it does, where we turn to God each day and we say, God, I've messed up today. God, here's what I did. God, please forgive me. Make my ministry stronger. Make my focus on you. I want to know you more intimately today than yesterday. I want to challenge you today. Brother Larry's going to come up in a minute. We're going to sing. We're going to give you the opportunity, if you want to, to come down front, or you can do it right where you sit, and you can talk to God, and you can repent right there and practice this. Or you can come down and get on your knees and talk to God and deal with it. But here's my prayer for you. Here's my challenge to you, if you're willing to take this prayer and really be open to a response from God. It says in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. Listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at NFLChurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.